Hello, dudes, and thanks for making episode number 69 of Scoring at the Movies a sexy part of your day. We go back and look at sports movies from our childhood or young adulthood and see what we think of them now. And we spoil the holy fuck out of them when we just got an R rating with that line. I'm the master jump shotter who once played a game somewhat similar to this with his cousin in the basement, but was not smart enough to market it, Ryan Ellis. And here's the winner of the Venslo Cup, who hasn't changed since high school, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. It's true. I'm still the 80-year-old man I was back in high school, and I think that's going to come through loud and clear when we talk about this movie today. And I have only myself to blame for this. I appreciate that going in because I think it was my suggestion that we jump on this grenade for lucky episode number 69. But in my defense, I actually thought this movie was going to lean more into the raunchy side of comedy than it actually does, which is baffling to me that these two guys in a movie as stupid and grotesque at times as this is, they somehow leaned entirely away, almost entirely away from anything sex related in their comedy. I think the only thing you got is cheerleaders, right? And that's about it. Including the male cheerleaders. They were All the, the sexiest cheerleaders of them all. Both sexes make this movie scorable. Plus the two lady stars, although as we said before we started recording, Yasmin Bleeth and Jenny McCarthy, not to shit on them because they obviously were thought of as sex symbols back then, but in this movie at least, they don't look very good. Parker and Stone are not supposed to, but McCarthy and Bleeth you think, Oh my god, Yasmin Bleeth, Chandler's obsession on friends. <laughs> That's right. And we don't I think she looks that hot. You said the same thing a minute ago. By their standards, that's true. Yeah, that's what it is. If you saw her on the street, you think, that's a beautiful woman, but in a movie, not so much. Before we get any further, I always forget to ask you this lately until we're deeper in, because you're not sitting in front of me. Open up that beer. What do you got over there? And a very appropriate choice, by the way, would be a beer. I should have had a beer with this movie where you have a team called The Beers. It occurred to me only as we sat down to do this today that if I were really thinking about it in advance, I would have grabbed a bottle of water or something because this is the movie where there's actually a team called Beers in it. And it'll be like the one time that I won't have a beer in my hand when we record. But that would be only if I thought ahead. Instead, I've got the Chicken Man Pale Ale today, which in and of itself is the stupid tie-in to the free range chicken day so we've got that going for it by the way you have drank white wine lately and you had whiskey at least once in the last six or so months so it's not always beer for you that's true i am a man of many alcohols <laughs> i contain legions or i contain multitudes multitudes <laughs> of alcohol and i've got the cc and diet i've only had one and a half of these so far well, let me explain by the way the thing i said in the intro about i played a game similar to this it's yeah. not that much like this but my cousin and i when we were 13 or 14 maybe we're in my basement with low ceilings and for whatever reason it may have been his idea we got hockey sticks out and a beach ball type ball not hard but not soft either it wasn't a beach ball exactly the idea was you had to use your stick to lift it up which is almost impossible and score a basket i think he won one to nothing and we played <laughs> if you will forever it was fun it was fun as hell we were about the same size i was a little heavier than him but about the same weight give or take and one of us would get close to scoring, but then not quite do it. I think our rule was you couldn't high stick exactly, but you could use bodies and stuff. 
but I didn't market it, and it probably wasn't marketable. It would have been too dangerous. But it was more like hockey ball, or what would you call it? Basky, I guess. I think what you're looking for, Ryan, is bastic ball. Right, exactly. I said base, but it's not baseball at all. There's no baseball involved in my thing, even though that's my favorite sport. This combines the two sports I probably like to play the most. Well, I guess pool, if you want to call it a sport, that and baseball. But basketball is probably my second favorite actual sport to play, at least by myself or with you. And of course, mm. baseball is number one. If you had thought ahead, you could have marketed this as the combination sport equivalent of a really boring soccer game. He picks it up. He picks it up. He picks it. Oh, he drops it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you didn't like it. You told me off, Mike, and you've said that already in the podcast. Bev and I watched it last night. I guess you watched it by yourself last night. And we did laugh. I can't deny that. As dumb as this movie is. But you didn't like it, so go ahead. Tell us what you think. <laughs> I didn't see this movie when it came out, which in retrospect, I couldn't remember why. I was aware of it. I was a huge South Park fan from the moment South Park began in whatever it was, 97, 98. This is when I'm 16, 17, 18 years old. So I'm a huge fan of the stupid 90s comedies that were around back then, the slapsticky or lowbrow humor. Anyway, I was a teenager. I still giggle at that stuff. Like Dumb and Dumber is one of my favorite movies of all time still to this day. And you want to talk about a movie that features a dumb duo as your lead characters. That is the movie. And this is the same kind of idea. But why didn't I watch this back then? And I got going into it. I had hope at the beginning of it. The game they came up with, you could see it being a game. Stupid psychotes aside, you could actually see this being a thing. In fact, I thought of you a little bit in this, Ryan, because we have gone out back and shot hoops in your backyard area. This would be a game that would be exactly up your alley. And we've talked about that before. You don't have to be insanely agile or have a great handle with the ball and dribble around. You can just be the setup shooter and be like an all-star at it. And I'm good at that. This game was invented for Ryan. But then as the movie <laughs> progressed, I'm like, how did two guys that are so prolifically funny, and I'm still a huge South Park fan, the humor felt so easy and so flat. There was nothing really incisive or witty about it. And maybe that's my fault because when they do South Park, they're often commenting on contemporary events. That's what kind of makes it so, oftentimes to me anyway, so intelligent and witty, even though it's also the dumbest thing on television, right? But they managed to sort of thread that needle between those two sides of the same coin. In this case, it was just dumb all the way. And it felt to me like if they made this in the same way as a South Park animated movie type thing or either like a world police style puppetry kind of thing it would have played mm. better because some of the humor that was in it in that movie that stars the real life matt stone and trey parker to me didn't read and didn't come across or didn't deliver and they're not great actors either they're great at voiceover but not tremendous actors obviously not that i detested it it didn't make me angry like when i watched mystery alaska it made me <laughs> angry by the end of the movie and i didn't detest it like i detested ready to rumble but at the end of it all, I was just like, that was the most forgettable hour and a half I can remember. And when I asked you what moments made you laugh, you're like, I don't remember. <laughs> and to me, that's it. It's the most forgettable hour and a half ever. And I just kind of expected more out of those guys, I guess. My memory's going. Maybe that's part of the problem. I seem to forget things more than I used to, especially about movies. And I just saw this 24 hours ago. I was still watching it less than 24 hours ago. Well, the director of the film is David Zucker, who did Airplane with his brother, Jerry, who went on to do Ghost, which Bev and I covered last summer. And also a guy named Abrams, or Abrahams, I think it's Abrams. So they did that, they did the Naked Gun movie, and they did the second Naked Gun movie, or at least Zucker directed all these, maybe he didn't direct all of them with his brother and his friend. And then Zucker, David, that is, directed Scary Movie 3 and 4, which I didn't love, but I think they were decent-sized hits. This is a comedy, maybe not quite legend, but a very accomplished comedy guy. Parker and Stone weren't that well-known, obviously, at this point, but they had been doing the show for a little while. 
it seems like an obvious hit financially and also a movie that people would love many years later. Right. It was written by Zucker, a guy named Robert Locash, Lewis Friedman, Jeff Wright. I don't know those names any more than you. Most of them were producers, by the way. But Parker and Stone tweaked and effectively rewrote the screenplay to suit their tastes. They did a lot of improv. Look at the movie references. I'm sure a lot of that was improv. And yet it isn't a movie that was liked at the time. And you hated it now, or at least didn't like it now. The Rotten Tomatoes numbers, only 42% of critics liked the film, 5.3 out of 10. But the audience is 74%. So they did like it. Yet, in 1998, came out July 31st, Universal released it. It was a basket bum. It didn't even earn one third of what it cost. Not even a third, and it was not a big budgeted film. It was 141st that year. Saving Private Ryan was number one. The Water Boy, which you and I will probably cover one of these days, was number five. Rounders, which we've already covered, was number 80. And He Got Game, we also covered that, was 84th. And it's also, by the way, known as Baseball on Dock in Hungary. Baseball on Dock was how it was released in Hungary. So those are the facts and figures for the movie. Maybe I'll remember about some of the specific things that made me laugh as we go through. But off the top of my head, I can't remember one right now. Although one thing that's laughable, not in the right way, and this is my nutshell, with movie magic, you too can have a great jump shot. Trey Parker's shot is horrible. Yeah, He's not even getting any arc on some of those shots at all until they cut away, and then it could just be somebody lobbing a ball in from right underneath the camera. Did you notice that? How bad yeah. his shot looks? Stones isn't that bad, but Parker, not a good player. Yeah, and I don't think there's a single shot in this movie where you can see them shoot a jump shot and watch it go in. It's always the close-up on an actor and then the cutaway to a reverse angle of a ball going through the hoop. As movies, comedies are one of the hardest things to talk about in this kind of podcasting format. What are you going to do? Just quote funny lines to each other? That kind of sucks. And when they're bad, it's a little bit easier. But this one wasn't god-awful bad for most of it. But it wasn't funny, and I just was left in this sort of bleary-eyed middle of, I'm not really sure what to look for here. Although it did make me realize that there are certain elements in comedies or in sports movies that I definitely look for, and I think it's probably true of everybody watching those movies. And this movie combines the doofusy duo comedy trope with the underdog makes good sports movie trope, right? And it sort of combines those two into whatever the heck this is. The problem with these two guys in this movie, at least in my opinion, is they aren't lovable. They're both just assholes from the get-go. One of the biggest downfalls of this movie is that friggin' squeak character. What the hell is the point of this guy, <laughs> except for just to have those other two shit on him nonstop for no understandable reason, except that he just happens to be there. He's their butters. He is their butters. But again, that's one of those things that works when you're in a cartoon that features eight-year-olds as your lead characters. But when you've got 30-year-olds that are just shitting nonstop on this poor guy that just apparently wants to be around them for some reason, you're assholes. You're exactly the kind of person I would never want to be around. I don't want you to succeed. <laughs> the bad guys won. I think Parker and Stone in reality are, I wouldn't say frat boyish, but leaning towards that way. I watched a making of type thing Bev recommended to me on YouTube. I found it maybe two, three months ago where you watch them make an episode. Oh, yeah. And I think the movie was involved in that and they were doing two things at once. Like they did this. They made this movie while they were making the show. So they would work on the show at night and do this during the day. They must have been on Coke. Well, they're young. That always helps. But they must have been working constantly. But that making of, they don't come across as assholes, but they don't come across as sweethearts who... You know what I'm trying to say here? They just come across as guys who you maybe wouldn't like too much. If they didn't love you, then they'd probably treat you kind of like Squeak or Butters. I don't need the lead characters to be the most beloved duo in history or anything. But if you don't root for them, 
That's a problem. You're right. That sports movie aspect of it goes away immediately. And what came to mind to me was the movie we did ages ago now, White Men Can't Jump. Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson's characters, they're both flawed. They're both kind of assholes in their own rights. But by the end of the movie, you kind of understand where they're coming from and you want them to succeed. In this one, there's no rationale for why they are the way they are, except that they're just frat boys. And you can still be frat boyish and be fun and entertaining, but they just rip on Squeak all the time. The way that Stone's character constantly treats Yasmin Bleeth was just obnoxious to me. Their stupidity was so next level. <laughs> the running gag of, did I just fart? What the fuck? You're so stupid that you can't recognize gas escaping your own body? <laughs> Although, admittedly, one of the few things that was redeeming about this movie to me was Robert Vaughn's character, the Baxter Kane guy. And the way that he started reacting, particularly to Matt Stone's character in this movie, whenever he would talk to him and Matt Stone would just not understand anything, the facial acting that Vaughn did in those moments, mm -hmm. full credit to him, he gave it in this movie as best he could. Not a comedy actor either, because he was in The Magnificent Seven and Bullet in the 60s and a lot of TV. And maybe he did more comedies than I'm aware of, but I don't think of him as a comedy actor. But yeah, you're right. He did pretty well in this movie. Actually, two of the funnier things in this... Arguably the two greatest sportscasters of all time, at least the modern era, Bob Costas and Al Michaels, who do their job as sports announcers, but also they're quite funny. I thought they were. Maybe you didn't agree. I thought Costas in particular was pretty good in his delivery and the one scene towards the end of the movie where it's like, well, after nine grueling months of playoffs and you can see Costas just looking <laughs> ragged in the booth. He played that well. Their laundry's hanging up behind them. Yeah. Notice that touch. <laughs> Al Michaels is passed out next to him. And Michaels was fine. I just thought Costas had more natural delivery. Yeah, Costas was funnier. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Part of the heartbreak to me of this is there's legitimately good ideas buried in this script. And I thought the conceit of basketball as a basis for the game was good. The idea of coming up with something where the everyman has a real shot to succeed and become a nationally known figure. That's good as part of the basis of the movie poking fun at the tropes of modern sports, even in the 90s, right, with ridiculous giveaways or overly long and complicated playoff structures in some respects. That's legitimately a good idea. But there's so much stupid fluff interspersed between these ideas. I just started checking out at various points. Well, that's a good point about the way it was in the 90s because they make it very clear early on, money has taken over the game showboating, free agency. The one guy doesn't even know what team he plays for. He's played for so many already. That was a good opening. And fans too. aren't showing up as much anymore. And it isn't long after the baseball strike and the hockey, either lockout or strike in the mid nineties. And I think maybe football or basketball also had some kind of In the early nineties, the, the NBA 90s. did, yeah. Okay, there you go. So three of the big four sports, I don't think hockey's considered a big four anymore, but it was then I think, had labor disputes and other leagues weren't exactly perfect either. People have probably just grown to not like sports the way they once did, no matter how popular and profitable football and so on is now. I don't have the same passion for sports I used to. I don't think those are the reasons, but they don't help. Bev actually said when they talked about the playoff structure, by the way, and how complicated it is and how long it is, she said to me, I feel seen. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> because she never understands the playoffs of her normal league. And I said in response to her that I don't get how the hockey playoffs work anymore. You've explained it to me. I looked one time at the online standings thinking the Maple Leafs were doing pretty well. I'm not really a Leafs fan exactly, but I'm not against them. I thought, oh, they'll probably be a second or third seed in the playoffs this year. But then they end up being somewhere in the fifth or sixth area because of the way they do it now. It doesn't make any sense to me. I've watched lots of hockey, though, in my life. Anyway, the point is, 
she felt seen and that was very accurate and it was also a funny thing with the broadcasters well the one guy's explaining it forever that might be dan patrick he's in this movie in some capacity as is tim mccarver reggie jackson kareem abdul jabbar dale earnhardt earnhardt driving a car kareem is a living statue basically jackson's actually pretty funny towards the end of the movie and then also showing joe cooper so coop that's parker's character as a kid with Doug Reamer, Reamer's Stone's character. And Stone is playing his own father. You see him very briefly in the wide shot, but then it's oh. a kid portraying young Stone. Parker catches Reggie Jackson's home run ball. I turned to Bev and said, push the glasses back in the nose. That is not accurate. Reggie Jackson's third home run in the 77 World Series landed in the black bleachers. No one cut the ball. <laughs> Someone would have caught the second one, I think, is what it was, because that was, I watched these just recently. It happened to be a YouTube thing. You know, YouTube suggests you watch things, and I watched his three home runs. And the second one, I think it is, is a laser beam that goes into that first or second row of the crowd. But he couldn't have caught the third one. It went into the bleachers. You pushed your glass up in your nose. You also whipped out your quill and ink and paper, started writing a sternly worded letter to Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Dear sirs, (laughs) I am not a crackpot. But you will note that at five minutes into your movie of 1998, you did this, and that is impossible. I hope somebody got fired for that one. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea where the third home run that Reggie Jackson hit landed. But you have a good point about a non-sports fan in particular, I think, would probably agree with a lot of what this movie pokes fun at, in addition to sports fans themselves. And it's funny that you say you don't care as much about sport as you used to, and I can appreciate some of the rationale for that. But one thing that has occurred to me over the last year or so with sports sort of coming and going, depending on the COVID situation, is how much of an anchor following sports has become for me in my adult life. And not even because I'm like, oh, I got to sit down and watch the game tonight. Just as like a day to day, let me check out what the scores were last night or how various teams are doing. And when that doesn't exist, it's a weird hole in my life that is almost depressing to think about. When did it become that important to me to have this thing or things, because I follow most sports, to follow? This period of time in the late 90s when attendance was crumbling in a lot of sports, right? The NHL was going through attendance issues, Major League Baseball in particular, at least prior to the big Maguire-Sosa year. Which was this year. I think the NFL was doing fine. I think the NBA was enjoying a real surge in popularity, so they were probably fine. The arguments that they make in this movie about people have no attention span anymore in the late 90s, this is pre-cell phone, fans are becoming jaded about rich athletes being mercenary and where they go. This is before things like the LeBron decision and super teams in the NBA and the kinds of quarter billion dollar contracts that are, if not the norm now, at least not out of the ordinary anymore. The kinds of things that they were ragging on in the 90s are even more applicable in 2020, which is funny to think about. I just don't know that this movie really does a lot with those ideas, ultimately. They bring them up, and then they just let a lot of them fade away without any real incisive resolution or commentary on them. That may have been the change in the script by Parker and Stone to make it more about them. Yeah. Because it's not really a story, per se. Just a bunch of things that happen. That is true. That is true, yeah. And then, of course, they have to win the big game. They're down by, what is it, 15 points in the big game, which is a long way to have to come back. Although when you have the ball, I guess you can keep on scoring. Just like in baseball, you can keep on scoring runs as long as you don't make outs. And the psycho thing is a big part of this, of course. At the end, Parker uses his Cartman voice to save the day. <laughs> then his lazy boy ball pops against the Barker Lounger, which is the Savoy special, effectively, the natural, which obviously they're referencing with that at the end. 
But Zucker, if I didn't say this already, invented this with his friends in his driveway. I think quite a long time before this. I'm guessing a lot of beer was involved, maybe Coke being Hollywood people or something even stronger. And I guess they played this for a while. Maybe they still do. I don't know. They're older men now. Probably not. But they did play this game probably basically like this. And I'm guessing that they invented rules. I wonder if there was the same sort of ripping on each other. The What are they called again? I'm forgetting the name of it already. A day later. The psych out. Is that what I called? The psych out? Super psych out? You make a guy miss because you oh, do yeah, something to him. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. And when they first at. invent the game in the driveway after that party with their old high school, not even really friends, but high school classmates, they're physically getting in people's faces. But I think when the game is developed, you can't do that. And that's one thing about this movie I like too, which wasn't funny, but it was pretty smart, is that it does take years for this to really catch on and develop and become a league that Ernest Borgnine's character, who is Denslow, wants to make into a profitable league. But he wants it to be guys like the Parker and Stone physiques. It's not supposed to be a jacked up superstar <laughs> athlete. It's supposed to be people like you and me, well, me more so than you, that could go play this tomorrow and be good at it because you don't have to be an athlete per se to do it. Even the running is more like I just jog from first to second to third and so on. You don't have to be fast in doing that. No one's ever going to tag you with the ball like they would in real baseball. So Zucker invented this game, which makes it based on a true story, ironically enough. I like the idea, the conceit of this fake game for sure. Everybody can be a star is still kind of a silly thing to say. I don't care how little physical activity is involved in a sport. I ain't going out there to spend money or watch somebody play it. I don't care how much beer is involved if you're just going to be shooting up bricks all day. You still okay. have to be able to shoot the ball. And I don't care if you weigh 300 pounds like that one giant or the couple of the giant guys in this movie do. You've got to be good at it. I also like the idea that the conceit of this is that people are losing interest in sports we need to find a game that draws them back in. And to do that, we're going to take a game like basketball, remove any speed or excitement out of it, give it the length and speed of a baseball game, and then that's going to be the thing that captures America's attention. So it's a fantasy movie on top of everything else then. <laughs> yeah. Also kind of ahead of its time in the idea of trying to turn a sporting event into like a true event. They had the band there whose name I've forgotten now. This is one of the most epitomizing of the 90s movies I've ever seen. From the fashion, to the hair, to the music, the party atmosphere of the game, which I don't think was so much of a thing in a lot of sports, at least not baseball or hockey, maybe more so football. That wasn't a thing. But over the last 20 years or so, I think a lot of teams have realized if you want people to come in the modern era and sit down and watch a game for three hours, you got to do stuff like have live bands play during the seventh inning stretch or something or goofy events between innings make sure there's a hell of a lot of beer flowing even at 15 bucks a pop god knows that's where the money is basketball and football of course do have cheerleaders too which baseball doesn't hockey doesn't i don't think most sports do but those two sports actually have cheerleaders so you're going for the titillation factor with that and then you got the male cheerleaders in this movie which is a good gag did they not show in this movie or am i thinking of something else i watched recently where they have the touchdown dances and that's mocked and that's one thing I said to you in a recent episode where I don't get why football took that out of the game. But I don't it either. can go too far, but it's entertaining when they do some of the things that we see it in. What was it? We saw a football movie recently that shows it. Anyway, the entertaining touchdown dances. It was in not Last Boy Scout. God damn it. When they used to do that kind of stuff in football and then you get penalized for it. Look at Jerry Maguire. Al Michaels in that movie too says he's going to get penalized on this, but who cares? Or maybe it's not Al Michaels. It could be one of the other two guys. I guess the idea is don't mock the other team, don't make the other team feel bad, like baseball players can't possibly ever be told anything other than 
We respect you. We respect you. We respect you. We just happened to get lucky and swung the bat well and won a game rather than we fucking beat you, stupid assholes. And the football touchdown dances are effectively that. We just beat you in your face, motherfucker. Which can go too far, like I said, but the basic idea of it, I'm not a showboaty kind of player myself when I play the game, but passion matters. And I think fans would probably like all sports more if players could show it more often. Yeah, I agree. There is a line there for sure. You can't be too precious if you're on the other team and, oh, I'm insulted by what you did. But at the same time, you don't want somebody totally showboating and trying to stick it to the other team whenever they score, whether it's football or basketball or hockey or whatever. But there was a period of time for sure. And I think that's what we're in right now. We got to follow the rules. We're going to keep the respect of the game. And fun doesn't necessarily factor into that. But now you want to see a flamboyant bat flip when somebody hits a big home run. You want to see a goal celebration when somebody scores a goal. If there's like a highlight reel dunk, you want to see somebody flexing or scowling. There's an element of humanity that comes into that, right? And you want to see it. And I think that is one thing that this movie does well is demonstrate that there's human emotion involved in this even if it's at the psych-out level. Although, please explain to me how you can psych somebody out so badly that they just face-plant themselves while taking a shot. That was stupid. You said you thought a lot of things were stupid. That definitely was. And some of the things that they're saying are really not that big a deal. If you pant somebody, which I think they do in this movie, I can understand that being something that would throw you off that much. Or if you put something in somebody's face, a physical object in their face... But for somebody to miss a shot as badly as some of these guys do, obviously it's just supposed to be funny that you miss by 20 or 30 feet, not by inches, which is what most shots are. Even air balls are relatively close to the basket almost always. But it wasn't that funny. That's one thing I agree with you. If the whole movie had been like that, I would be even harder on it than you are right now, which is, I would have said, really not funny. But then that's Parker and Stone for you, and Zucker too. The Zucker brothers and Abrams and those other movies I talked about threw a lot of things at the wall, and a lot of it stuck. Because they had talented actors, they were talented young men making those films. I don't know if they improved a lot on those, or if it was a script, but whatever it was, Airplane, Naked Gun, still funny. Bab and I saw both of those last year during the early days of the pandemic, and we still laughed at them. But when you get guys as talented as the three people making this movie, the director and his two stars, maybe they didn't gel well. I didn't read they didn't exactly, but Parker and Snow were working so much, maybe they're too tired to do as good a job as they could have. Because they also thought their show was going to be canceled. They didn't know South Park would necessarily keep going. So they thought, we better strike while the iron's hot and make a movie and be on screen making a movie. That's one reason why they agreed to do it as well. I'm not saying they're embarrassed by the final product. I've never heard that. I didn't read that. But I wonder if they maybe are and think, well, you got to get paid sometimes when you make movies. There's that element of it too. Ironically enough, given the context of this movie where they're all mad at athletes being mercenary and going places to get paid, I don't begrudge them wanting to get paid by making a movie while they're a hot commodity. For sure, go for it. But knowing what I know about their other work and how they're not afraid to just go for an idea, this movie, one thing that lets it down for sure is the fact that you mentioned things like Airplane, which I agree, despite the fact that it's, what, like 40 years old, it's still funny. The Naked Gun movies, at least the early ones, are still funny, but they had great comedic actors, particularly guys like Leslie Nielsen, who can deliver some of that ridiculous dialogue with a deadpan gravitas that just makes it hilarious. Trey and Matt and this, they just can't do that. They don't have those kinds of chops. They lean goofy. You're right. Everything they ever do leans goofy. And at a certain point, it's too much goof. Everything they ever do as on-screen actors, I mean, not necessarily what their cartoons have been like. And because they didn't act in Book of Mormon, they did make that and that made them a fortune. They don't have to ever work again, probably. But yes, the times they've been on screen, I don't remember Orgasmo. I'm guessing the same basic idea. I think it's worse. Parker is Orgasmo, right? Yeah. There you go. The guy who plays their buddy, so that's Dion or Dion? Bahar, 
Weird spelling. It looks like Diane Backer or Basher, but that's the squeak guy who's worked with them a lot of other times. In fact, on Orgasmo, he does various technical jobs. Most of his credits are not on-screen acting type jobs. And he even is in Galaxy Quest in a small role. I don't know who he is in that. I didn't look it up, but he's in that great comedy a year after this one. So he's their go-to to mock in this movie. I wouldn't say he's hilarious, but sometimes he's a better actor than they are, which is really saying something, I guess, because they are very talented guys because he doesn't mug as much as they do. He is a much better actor than they are, and he's not given a lot to do in this movie other than to be the almost literal whipping boy for them at times. But he delivers the lines that he's given with deadpan accuracy. I'll give him that. I just don't understand what he does for the movie, ultimately, because I didn't really think any of it was funny, and it just made me kind of dislike the leads. I guess what I wanted more so than anything else out of this, and the reason why when we were talking about what do you do for episode 69... I'm thinking, well, okay, it's Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I know how raunchy they can get in a cartoon environment. I've never mm. seen this movie, but I know Jenny McCarthy was on the poster in the 90s, and it's probably a raunchy comedy of some description, but it really wasn't. And I wish they had either gone full-out R-rated comedy nonsense raunchiness or lean the other way and maybe give me some of the less goofy but more incisive comedy, but that's generally family-friendly. Instead, I got something in the middle where you've got a bunch of comedy that I guess is meant to appeal to kids. For instance, whenever he somehow gets his hands on the enormous needle in the hospital and grapples with the nurse and then jams in the electrical socket, and they both get the young Frankenstein electrocuted hair sticking out at the ends of their heads and stuff like that. That could be funny in a South Park cartoon, and I guess it would be funny to kids... But there's a lot about this movie that would 100% be not okay for kids. Like the innuendo humor that's going on between Jenny McCarthy and Vaughn there. Uh, what's his name? Dexter Kane? Well, the way that Borgnine dies to choking on a hot dog. Yeah. Which is obviously a phallic thing. That hot dog that pops up his mouth every time, very digital. Looks so fake. That was a little rough. Oh, by the way, as far as the rating goes, this movie was an R because of all the language. And I think only because of the language. Because is there violence? There's certainly not blood. And as you just said, it is not a sexy movie despite what we thought it would be. You can't score with this movie, I wouldn't say, even though there's good-looking people like McCarthy and Bleeth and those cheerleaders. This was R? Because the language. Don't forget, there's a lot of swearing. Then it's even more inconceivable to me. Why didn't you go full bore? Give me nudity. Give me some gore in there. Don't go half measures, because it feels like that's what it this is. It was a half-assed movie in that way. I don't think the Zuckers were ever swearers in their movies, though, were they? I don't remember there being no. fucks and shits and that kind of thing in those movies I talked about from the 80s. And again, I don't know if they were battling, but maybe he was pushing against what they do, which is to really go for it. They would on South Park if they could. If South Park aired on HBO, those kids would swear as much as they do in the movie, probably. Although that was funny in the movie more so because you never heard that otherwise. They couldn't do it on the show. They couldn't be saying fucking shit on television. So maybe that was the Parker and Stone influence. And it wasn't really his bag. Those movies that he made with his brother and his friend also weren't sexual. And Parker and Stone maybe wanted to go that way, but they also probably had to realize we're not going to get McCarthy and Bleeth to just take it off because they're sex symbols and they're not going to do that for free or for even a little bit of money. Neither of them have really acted very much. McCarthy's only made 13 movies and Bleeth only seven. But as we said, they're probably better than their two main characters in this. And at the same point, it's such a chaste relationship. Parker going after her and yeah. Bleeth liking him back and Stone being a pig basically trying to get it. And also, even though they're friends, there's a clash with those two all the time as characters. Reamer is not good to his own friend. He's trying to right. score with Coop's not yet girl, but who Coop wants to be his girl. And then, of course, Reamer sells out later on, too. Oh, one good gag, by the way. Maybe you didn't laugh at it, but we did. When Coop goes to 
what is it, overseas, India, China, wherever it is, to see the babies making shoes. Not kids, but little babies making shoes. That was a good gag. That was a surprising gag, too. Seeing little kids do it was where you think it's going to go, but they go even younger than that. That was a good gag. The thing that kind of irritated me about that was, man, you had to go hard hat turban gag at the same time. Mm. It kind of ruined that particular moment for me. In saying things like, give me nudity and give me all that stuff, it's not like, dear God, I need to see some tits in this. It's more just like an indicator of this movie trying to tread a middle ground. And for reasons I don't understand, especially if it's already rated R, you may as well give it the full treatment. They even had Playboy Playmates in the movie. Victoria Silvestead is name-checked a couple times because she's in the hot tub with Reamer. And then I think mm. at the end of that scene, you got Joe Cooper saying, hey, Playmate of the Year, Victoria Silvestead, stop it, kind of stuff, and then walks out. She was beautiful. I forgot about that till right now. Gorgeous. She's a gorgeous woman. But again, you've got literal Playboy Playmates in this movie where there's zero skin being seen. What is the point of all that? Just to demonstrate how much Reamer is selling out? The same thing applies to all the cheerleaders, right? Because they have scenes where the cheerleaders are like stripping off the outer layers and then you wanted to do a thing, you being Trey Parker and Matt Stone, you wanted a thing here, you thought it would be cool. And then somebody, whether it's the studio, whether it's Zucker, whoever said they have to keep their tops on or something like that. Otherwise it won't be family friendly. It's already not. Well, again, it can't be family friendly anyway, because it's an R rating because of the language alone. They really struggle to understand who the audience that they were trying to appeal to was at the end of the day. College kids, especially boys. I guess. But they didn't show up. The movie completely If you're looking bombed. to appeal to a 19-year-old boy, you got to put some nudity in that. It's an R-rated yeah, you're comedy. Right. Your audience is a 19-year-old college boy. Put some tits in that movie. Revenge of the Nerds did it. I think Animal House did. I'm pretty sure it did. I haven't seen Animal House in a long time. Porky's another one that went that way, Canadian film, or at least a Canadian-made film. And I say that from like a 1998 perspective. I get that in 2020, equal opportunity. Go nuts, man. Full frontal male nudity if you want to. Those guys would do it. You see them naked from behind, they would have done it. They would have done it. They have the fake giant dicks as well. There's opportunities to have some legitimately shocking and probably pretty funny humor in this, and they just pass them by every time. Well, it's a made-up sport, so I guess they did a perfect job of depicting the sport, because how can we possibly comment on something that we've never seen before? Then again, Trey's shot is dreadful. But I think the depiction was fine for what it's supposed to be. And it's nice that a guy like me could play this sport tomorrow. Although I'm still an okay athlete for somebody who's 47 in a couple of weeks and in not good shape at all. As for the score factor, we've already discussed that plenty. I felt cheated out of the 69ing. Parker and Stone, you know they would have done it if Zucker or the studio would let him do it. But at least we get to see a couple scenes of ugly French kissing. Parker and Jenny McCarthy, right? Or is it Stone and Jenny McCarthy? It must Stone. be Stone and Jenny McCarthy. And then Parker and Stone with each other. So at least there's that, I guess. The movie Scattershot, it's stupid, but I did laugh and I was entertained. So I'm going to say a soft 6 out of 10. And maybe I should even go higher considering I laughed a fair amount at this hour and 40 or so minute comedy. I am stunned, sir. You're saying three or something, yeah, I'm guessing? exactly three. <laughs> okay. Because I can literally count on one hand the number of times I even chuckled in this movie... There were moments where Bob Costas and Robert Vaughn, just in their reactions, they made me chuckle. The only scene where I legit laughed was, oddly enough, Jenny McCarthy. Mm. Robert Vaughn saying, you want to come back to my place and lay some rug? And waggles his eyebrows at her. And when the camera pans in, she's on her hands and knees, grunting and squealing. <laughs> uh, I see where this is going. And then, of course, she's just using her knees to bang in some carpeting, using a legitimate carpenter's tool. And she's, oh, that's two rooms down. Those corners are tricky, eh? You want to go do the dining room now? 
that's a legitimately fun gag. And I think they followed that up with, no, but my foyer needs a good waxing, if you know what I mean. And she's actually waxing She's using the, the power waxer. That was a cute moment. Probably the hardest Jenny McCarthy's ever worked in her life. A hundred percent. Maybe the funniest she's ever I don't ever know. Been. Maybe she's had a hard life. Maybe before she was a star, she actually had to have a normal life. But anyway, as a star, probably the hardest she's ever worked or any of these people ever work. I would love to have Parker and Stone do a candid interview with somebody in 2020, 2021 thereafter, and ask them what their feelings are about some of their early work like this, like Orgasmo. Was it just for a paycheck? Did you get kibosh by producers, by the director, and some of the things you wanted to do? How do you feel about the end product? Oh, I can tell you one thing, by the way. I think this came up in South Park last year. Bev and I covered that in the summer, I think it was. Recommend that one, by the way, on the Top 100 Project. My cousin Brett did a great Cartman as the intro on the coffee sponsor. <laughs> I'd listened to the commentary before we recorded the podcast. They understood a little bit better, even though they mocked Lucas and Spielberg for changing their movies many years later. E.T., the Star Wars series, obviously, got tweaked by those two guys. Oh, the movie could be better. Leave it alone, George. But they admitted when they were doing the commentary for the South Park movie, watching certain scenes saying, oh, I kind of understand those guys more now. I'd love another shot at that or that or that. Usually animation mistakes that they thought were there. So you asked that question. I like the fact that they can be those kinds of people that say, unlike so many people that are famous who always say, oh, I never look back and I don't regret anything. They're admitting they regret what they did in this very successful movie they made that was still funny as well. South Park, 20 or so years later, still a funny film. I like that. They admit that they fucked up. And they probably said the same thing about this movie and Orgasmo, which I don't think was a hit either. And probably Cannibal the Musical. But most things they've touched have turned to gold. We've mentioned almost everything. Team America, I think you said that as well. I don't know if that was a hit, but I think it was pretty well liked by most people, especially their fans. They're pretty candid most of the time. And so I'm pretty sure if they thought this movie was like a hot mess, they wouldn't be shy to say that. Unlike, like you said, George Lucas, who to his dying breath will defend some of the work that he's done and... You can't have it both ways. And I think these are two filmmakers or writers, at least, that would admit it. You can't have it both ways. And really, it would have been a great movie, potentially, if they'd been given their free reign. Make a sequel, guys. Let's see these two washed up, quote unquote, superstar athletes. They're now 50 years old. And I'm talking about Hoop and Reamer, their characters in this movie. Mm. Even though I didn't like this movie, if Trey Parker and Matt Stone made a sequel, they have to come out of retirement to save the franchise somehow. You give it a chance. They'd have enough clout now, I'm sure, that they could just say, we'll make this movie, but we're going to make the movie we want to make, and nobody can tell us what to do. I'm sure it'd be better. No, I think you've got a point there. They could play the felons again and beat them again. Not that I think it'll ever happen, because like you said, these guys at this point have more money than God, so unless they really want to do it just for their own shits and giggles, it ain't ever going to happen. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, not your favorite movie. I will probably never see it again, but... There it was. We thought it was going to be raunchy, and it wasn't. Oh, well. I speculated we would do The Cutting Edge, which I know isn't raunchy, but I know it's a romantic movie. And we've covered a lot of great romances already, so we can't do them now. Jerry Maguire would have maybe fit. Not that that's a sexual movie, but it's a very romantic one. Not that 69 is exactly a romantic thing. You get what I'm saying. If there are very many sports movies that have raunch in them, we either didn't think of it or we've already covered it. So, oh, well. There's a mulligan on basketball for you and a very slight mulligan for me because I didn't love it, but I laughed. How was that beverage you just sipped again? It is every bit the Chicken Man IPA I was hoping it would be, Ryan. You can really taste the chicken. Chicken Man, Chicken Man, Rubber Man. There's a raunchy movie, but we covered it way back when, Kingpin. That would have been great for this spot. Who knew? We should have waited. We should have saved it for episode 69. Actually, one question I have for you. This fake sport, 
is just guys standing around shooting hoops. There's no physical contact. So presumably you're not wearing a cup, right? There's no jock strap mm -hmm. necessary, I wouldn't think. So why are the retired numbers on jock straps? Ah. I'm confused. I now hate this movie. <laughs> I will push my glasses back and say, oh, Reggie Jackson did not hit that ball to a fan. He hit it to a black covering and also wide jock straps. All right, my beverage is gone. I'm down to the water now, Ugh. separate bottle, and that's not good enough for a Friday night. So in two weeks, it will be February 4th, which is only a few days before the Super Bowl. Hard to believe football happened this year because they did have some pandemic problems, some outbreaks and such, but they played through it. Barring a surprise, it'll be on February the, what's that, the 7th or 8th? I can't do my math here. Five, six, it must be the 7th. So football time, Disney Plus to the rescue as we talk about Mark Wahlberg and Invincible, which I don't think you've seen, right? But I have. I haven't seen Free is good. We had to pay for basketball. But Invincible is free on Disney+. Plus. Let's hope it stays there. It probably will. I am on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. And you can find our whole library of podcasts where we got this one. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Amazon Music. And I could rattle them off forever. So go back and hear some of these episodes we mentioned. Like Kingpin, for example, which is way raunchier than this movie. That is a surprise. Take it easy, dudes. I know it's you, will, you motherfuckers. Where's my cousin Brett? He could do this for me. <laughs> That's not bad. I like that. Even if it's not 100%. All right, we'll end on that note. Take it easy, dudes. I know that you will in a weak Cartman voice. Brett, save me next time. <laughs>